today, I'm going to be talking to you about the law and uh, the importance of knowing Revelation about what it means and what it is to the church for today. But uh, I wanted to explain this to you. You know, Moses is the one who brought the, the law. So I know that a big portion of the church today believe that the law is one of the most important things, that we need to live by the law and the law and the law and the law. First of all, the law, you know, some people say, well, what are you talking about? What is the law? Well, the law is 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's 613 laws and regulations. Most of us are breaking some right now of those laws. Did you know one of the laws is you could not mix material? Polyester and cotton was against the law. You couldn't mix any kind of material. So you're a bunch of lawbreakers. But what I want to point out as well, because I was raised up that we were still under the law. The church and everybody is still under the law, and we need to do our best to keep the law. That's the way that I was raised. And I'm so glad I found out different, because this is such a free. Did you know from Adam to Moses, it was approximately 2,500 years. That's 2,500 and a little bit change. Years, So you think, uh, if the law was so important, why did God wait so long to bring it about? Just a thought. I mean, if we really need to live by the law, what was Abraham living under? What was Adam living under? Noah, all of those great patriarchs, what were they living under? It wasn't the law. I'm just saying that sometimes we can grab hold of religion and grab hold of things that we were raised in and those very things that we have believed will put you in bondage. So, there's two kinds of righteousness, two kinds. There's self-righteousness, which means that you have to perform or do certain things to become righteous. You know, I was raised that the more you can do right, you know, the more righteous you are. The more that you can do, then the more righteous you become. That is called self-righteous. In Isaiah chapter 64, if you want to read it, it's somewhere in 64. It says that your righteousness is filthy as rags. Which means that you cannot perform or do enough good To become righteous. Well, that's bad news. But God wants you to know that's not the way that he wants you and I to look at righteousness. Because the second righteousness is called faith righteousness. And that righteousness is not something you and I do. It's a gift unto us. And all you have to do is believe. Man, that's good news. Aren't you glad you don't have to work at being righteous? Years ago, there was a guy who was retired, and he came and he worked at the church a lot, did odds and ends, and and I was so thankful for that. 
But then one day I found out, he says, well, you know, I have to do as much as I can to make sure that the gates of heaven stay open for me. And I went, say what? He says, you know, I got, I got to do as much. I said, there, you, you can't do enough to keep the doors open of heaven. I mean, if that's what you're doing, all of this is in vain. You and I cannot do anything to become righteous. That's good news. You think, oh, that's terrible news. No, it's because I have been made righteous. You have been made righteous because of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is such great, tremendous news. And the reason I want to talk on this is because I believe righteousness is a key to unlock some things that are inside of us that have been deposited by God inside you and me and, but this is what most Christians, well, a lot of Christians think. They think that I, I'm really not that righteous because I do wrong and I do this and I, do, I don't just do everything right. One person says, I can't be a Christian because I can't live up to that standard. And I went, what standard are you talking about? You know, always doing right, always being perfect and always being that. I said, I don't qualify either. Well, what do you mean? I don't. You don't. No person on this planet can qualify for that. The standard's way too high to be perfect. But the good news is there was one person who was perfect. His name is Jesus, and he said, Mike, I'll do it for you. And you just believe that I did it for you, and you can receive the gift of righteousness. Woo! Hallelujah! So, I like the second righteousness better than the first righteousness. I like believing that Jesus has made me that and I don't have to do anything. Let me just say this. You will never be more righteous right now. When you get to heaven, you're not going to become more righteous. You are as righteous as you will ever be right now today. This message is set you free. My goal is this, to get you to know that if you believe and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God, the righteous. You are just as righteous as, and I know some people think, oh, that sounds like blasphemy. You are just as righteous as Jesus was when he walked on this planet. Mm. You are just as righteous as him. That's one, I want to just drive that home because you need to know that, and I want to make sure that you don't live your life by self-righteousness. And we all can fall back into, I mean, I fall back in that from time to time. Oh, man, I got, I got to do better. I got to do better. You know, this is what, we don't really think this way, but this is what we are actually saying. To have salvations, it's Jesus plus what I can do. Is that taught by God in the Word? Salvation is Jesus Christ alone. Him alone. It's not plus what you can do. It's not plus, well, if I can just be a better person. If I, no, you're always going to fail at that. And if you attempt that, that's called self-righteousness. And you'll begin to compare yourself with other Christians then. Well, at least I'm not as bad as them. As if your sins are not as bad as theirs. You know, like, really? Self-righteousness will cause you to compare yourself. And then the third goal for mine is, I believe after you hear this, you're going to fall more in love with Jesus than you ever have. And that's the goal. 
And if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus dealt with religious people kind of harshly. And you know why? Because they were self-righteous. They didn't believe they needed Jesus. They didn't need, believe that they needed this gift. They thought that they could be righteous by keeping the law and doing more. So all of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, all the religious people at that time, they thought they were righteous because of what they were doing. And Jesus hit that, I mean, straight on, in between the eyes. For example, he said, oh, you, it is, you have said, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman wrongly, you're just the same as committing adultery. What? What? He just kept raising the standard. Let's just see how far you can go. Why was he doing that? He was telling them you can't live up to the laws that you even think that you can. If if I offend you, he said, then just pluck it out. How's that for a law? If your hand does something wrong, cut it off. If that was the case, most people, well, not most, all people would be walking around maimed and blind. But this is what I found out about people who who like to live by the law. They pick and choose which laws they want to really live by. They pick and choose. Well, this is what we live by. We live by these laws, and we don't, there's a lot more laws. And the Bible says this, if you believe in the law... If that is your standard, then you have to keep all of them because if you miss one, you're offended in all of them. 613. 613 laws. Romans chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. You know, again, the religious Jews were so zealous. They were so zealous. If they had anything going for them, they were zealous about the law. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Is that powerful or what? That's called self-righteous. He said, you have tried to attain righteousness in your own self, but you haven't allowed and accepted the righteousness of God. And then it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For righteousness to everyone who believes. Not to everyone who performs better than what other people are performing, but to those who believe. Romans 10, 3 through 8. Listen to the Passion Translation. I really like this. And since they've ignored the righteousness that God gives, wanting instead to be accepted to God because of their own works, they've refused to submit to God's faithfulness, faith righteousness. They want to try to work this out. They want to work for God. They want to work to become righteous. For the Christ is the end of the law. And because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness. Listen to this. God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who work or or perform or, or just try harder or to who? To all who believe. I mean, that's shouting ground right there, man. I mean, that ought to put on some happy pants for you. 
Some of you need to put those pants on right now. It goes on to say, Moses wrote long ago about the need to obey every part of the law in order to be declared right with God. He's talking about the Ten Commandments right there. Moses wrote that, okay, you, if you want to be right with God, you've got to keep these laws. The religious people said, okay, we've got to be right with God. We've got to keep everything, dot every I, cross every T. And if we're going to be right with God, we keep them. What's the problem with that? They couldn't do it. And guess what? We can't do it either. But he goes on to say, the one who obeys these things must always live by them, even today. If you believe in the law, then you have to obey all of them. If you're guilty of one part, you're guilty of all of it. He goes on to say, but we receive the faith righteousness that speaks an entirely different message. Don't for a moment think that you need to climb into the heavens to find the Messiah and bring him down or to descend into the underworld to bring him up from the dead. But the faith righteousness we receive speaks to us in these words of Moses. God's living message is very close to you, as close to your own heart, beating in your chest and as near to the tongue in your mouth. In other words, he's saying you just believe it in your heart and speak it with your mouth and you are made the righteousness of God. You're made that. Philippians 3.9 says it this way. And be found in him, in Christ, not having our own righteousness, which is from the law. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures so you just, this is not my opinion. Having your own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You're made righteous today. Listen, this has to be inside your, your heart and your foundation because you and I are going to mess up. You probably have, possibly, this morning already. So, but this is what our mentality is. When we mess up, oh, God is not as pleased with us. Oh, I'm not as acceptable to God now because I, I, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've done wrong. So I, I'm not in with God now. I'm out looking in. Most Christians think that way. They believe that. They believe that. But this is the thing. If you, you're, The devil will jump on the bandwagon and echo that in your brain. Well, you can't receive anything from God because look at, look at what you did. Look at what you did. When I have a thought like that, I say, I'm so thankful that you brought that up because that is under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's been taken away and as if it never existed. You want to shut up those thoughts, that's the way you got to talk. And then you back it up with saying, I'm not under the law, just so you know. My relationship with God is not built upon do's and don'ts. But most Christians are. Most Christians are. I have to do right. Or I got to make sure I don't do wrong. And their relationship with God is built upon that principle. I'm telling you. A wrong understanding of the purpose of the Old Testament law leads to misunderstanding of the very nature of God. People don't even like God or they're fearful of God because, you know, they think that, well, because I do wrong, he'll backhand me. And some people, if you had parents that were 
overly strict and dare I say purity mean. <laughs> you think, you know, if you did one thing wrong, you know. And so we have that mentality with God as our father. You better watch it. God's going to get you. I've heard Christians say that to their kids. Now, if you don't straighten up, God's going to get you. That's the worst thing in the world you can say to your kids. It is. Why? Because it puts fear in the kids. You know, like, oh, man, if I do wrong, man, God's going to beat me over the head with a bat. Most people believe God gave the law to show us what we needed to obtain for a relationship with him. This is the thing. You start off in Genesis. God put two trees, or he told Adam and Eve about two trees. The first one was the tree of life, which represents Jesus. He said, you can partake of that tree. But he said, all of the trees in the garden, there's only one tree that I don't want you to partake of or to eat of. Only one. Only one tree. What was that tree? The knowledge of good and evil. I want to make sure that you know it wasn't the tree of good and evil. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let me just get you to think this way. Why would God not want you to have any knowledge of good and evil? Why wouldn't God want you to even know what's good and evil? It's obvious to me. Because when you have a knowledge of good and evil, now that's how we base our relationship with Jesus. Why? What did Adam and Eve do as soon as they partook of that? They hid themselves. Sewed some fig leaves together. Now that was the fashion of the day. Sew some fig leaves together. Why? Because now, and they hid themselves from God. Let me ask you this. People say, you know, God will, he, he will leave you if you sin. Really? Then why was God walking through the garden saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? He was yelling out to him like, I'm here. Where are you? It's a wrong teaching to say when people sin that God departs. It's totally from the pit of hell. And it's causing people to run from God and to be shameful and to be condemned because they've done wrong so they don't want anything to do with God because we know God doesn't accept you now. I tell you what, that is such a lie that the church has swallowed. When God is chasing people down left and right. Hey, where are you? Hey, where are you? Where are you? Well, you know, I did wrong. Yeah, I know you did wrong. Like, really, do you think God was like, oh, you partook? Oh, I didn't know. Shockeroo. Oh, and by the way, where did you get those new duds, man? I mean, wow. What's up with that? Was God really shocked? No, he knew that. He knew that. I'm just telling you, we have to change our thinking because it's causing us to have a ripple with our relationship with God. It's not, he does not want a relationship built on us doing or not doing. 
And to be honest with you, is that the kind of relationship you want to have with your kids or with your parents? You know, granted, when the kids are really young, you know, you have to make sure they obey the rules. Look both ways, you know. I was with my grandkids yesterday. I said, make sure you look both ways when you cross there. I'm with you, but I want them to know. Well, you think, oh, they're just trying to be legalistic. (laughs) They may think that. Poppy has so many rules. But it's to protect them. It's not because my relationship's better. If you don't do that, you know, I'm not going to feed you today. If you don't do that, I'm not going to, you know, bless you today. I'm not going to do something for you today. Oh, my relationship with them is not built upon what they do or don't do. My acceptance of them, my love for them is not based upon what they do or don't do. And yet we bring that mentality with our relationship with God. And it's all because of our knowledge of good and evil. And we think we always have to live on the good side. Listen to me. If you are living on that tree, you're on the wrong tree anyway. You're to- I don't care if it's the good branches. You're on the wrong tree. You say, I just want to live on the good side tree. I'm living on the good. This is where God wants me. No, it's not. I said it's not. You're supposed to be on the tree of life. That's the tree of Jesus. You are one with that tree. And now, you know, have you ever been in one of these trees? I don't know if it was Jared or Joe. They were just, I mean, really little. And they climbed trees a lot. And uh, we had this big tree out here, and my secretary was having lunch at the kitchen in there. And all of a sudden, their head came above the top of the tree. I mean, it was a pretty good tree. It's cut down now. It was really good. The leaves were right here, and all of a sudden, there was a head sticking out above it. And she came running after me. She said, Pastor, Pastor, your, your son, he, he, he's, he's at the top of the tree. I go, cool, man. I mean, that dude can climb. And she looked at me like, I said, he's fine. He can, he, he'll, he'll be fine. But my point is, you can get in that tree, and she, he was there the whole time, but she only saw him when his head popped up through the top. My point is, we are on the tree of life or the tree of Jesus, and we're totally camouflaged inside of that tree, and all you see is Jesus. All you see is Jesus. But this is what the enemy, this is what the world, this is maybe what some religion wants you to do is say, no, you have to stand on your own. And it's based upon your merit and what you do or don't do. You and I will never measure up. If that's, if that's your goal, you'll never be there. You'll never be there. The law was given to show you and me that we needed a Savior and that we couldn't do it. We, couldn't, we can't live by the law. But people thought they could. And the religious people, this is why Jesus kept hitting the religious people. Oh, we can live by the law. And Jesus said, you can? Really? William Tyndale, this is a quote from him. He said, the law and the gospel are two keys. The law is the key that shutteth all men under condemnation. And the gospel is the key which opens the door and lets them out. That's good news. The law reveals sin but cannot do anything about it. Romans 3.20. The law reveals sin in your life and my life, 
But the problem is it can't do anything about it. So is that really helpful? Romans 3.20 says this, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Man, I'm going to give you some smacky upside the head scriptures today. The law, it says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It shows you how sinful you are. The law, if, if the law worked, then faith would be irrelevant, would it not? Romans 4, 14. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. The law brings wrath upon those who follow it. The law does, not God, the law. Romans 4.15, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So if you're, if you're trying to keep up with the law, then the law is just going to keep condemning you. But God turns around and says, I'm giving you grace so judgment is passed over you. Judgment passes over you. This is why even the very first Passover, judgment passed over them. That's why they called it Passover. And guess what? Judgment has passed over us because of Jesus. You will never be judged. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know about that. Listen to me. I love to drive. I just love to drive. When we go anywhere, I like to drive. I'm a terrible backseater. I'm a terrible Rider, passenger, I want to be behind the steering wheel. I enjoy it. I love it. One time we took a road trip of 3,000 miles. I drove every single one of them. I loved it. But listen to me. I feel like the Lord gave me this illustration. What if there was a law that says if you go one mile over the speed limit, you get the death penalty? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't enjoy driving so much. Why? Because I'm like, oh, my goodness, speed limit. I gotta, I'm doing five miles under. This is being taped, so I won't tell you what I drive. But anyway, as an ex-FedEx guy, it's not the speed limit. But, you know, you, 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 if you're sitting there looking at the speed limit, you're going, I'm going to make sure I drive five minutes. And you're constantly, you're not enjoying the scenery. You're not enjoying your surroundings. You're, you're white-knuckling the steering wheel, thinking, if I go one mile over, I'm going to be put to death. Are you going to enjoy driving? I don't think so. This is what the law does, and this is what religion does. Are you hearing me? Religion wants you to white-knuckle life and not even enjoy life because, you know, you got to make sure you're doing everything right because if you do anything wrong, death to the Christians. Death to the guy who's... Driving like a FedEx guy. You wouldn't enjoy it. But this is a problem. Jesus came, John 10, 10, that they may enjoy life and enjoy it to the full, to it overflows. You can't live by the law and enjoy life. Mm. 
I said, you can't. You will not be able to. The purpose of the law was to show how sinful we were, Galatians 5.20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You know, I've heard people say this about Pueblo. Oh, there's so much sin and crime and terrible things going on in Pueblo. It's just a sinful city. I said, oh, good. You know, when a pastor says that, it usually gets people's attention. Oh, good. What, what, wait, what, pastor? Because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You know what I'm trying to say? You know what God is trying to say? You can't beat me. My grace can beat your sin anytime. It's a trump card. It's a trump card. Now, let me just clarify. Am I saying, okay, so we can just all go out and sin tonight? Let's just go out and do this. And Paul said, God forbid. No, there's consequences to sin. I can leave church today, and I can rob the loafing jug on my way home. And when the police come to arrest me, I can say, I just want to say one thing. I'm a righteous grace preacher, so, you know. And they say, fine, you can be that behind bars. So there's consequences to sin. Are you hearing that? Okay, I just want to make sure everybody knows I understand that. But having said that, your sin cannot separate you from God and not even separate you from the promises of God. For the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that all of the promises are yes and amen. It doesn't say, well, unless you sin. There's nothing underneath that. There's not a sub-number that says, unless you sin, then they're not. Why am I preaching like this? Because... Listen to me. If you get attacked in your body by some sickness or disease, if you feel guilty or condemned because of some sin that you, or problem that you've been having, you won't be able to receive the blessings of God because you feel like you're not worthy enough. I believe there's a lot of Christians die before their time because they felt like, you know, I probably deserve this. I probably deserve it. And you never see yourself what Jesus did for you. And the reason you don't deserve it is because of what he did for you. Hmm. Christians did I read Romans 3.19? We'll read it again. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. This is why we needed a Savior. The law was given, so you know what? You can't keep it up. And this is why people today, they don't want to go to church. They don't want anything to do with God because I can't live by that standard. And you know why? Because the church has preached that this is the standard you have to live by. Really? Really? And so thousands, millions of people are not flooding the church or flooding the gates of heaven. It's because they feel like, I can't live by that. Neither can I. But the good news is, when you, this journey called life, the more you get to know God, the more you and I get to know grace 
the more it empowers you to walk even as he walked. And if you fall short, you still have the grace, you still have the righteousness inside of you, you just dust yourself off. As it says in Psalms, the righteous can fall seven times, but he gets back up. But the problem with the church is we don't dust ourselves off and get back up. We wallow in the mud and say, I can't do it, I'm not worthy, I'm just a sinner. You're not a sinner. You may sin, but you're not a sinner. Don't ever let that lie get a hold of your mind. You're not a sinner. You may sin, but you're not a sinner. I may work on my car, but I am far from a mechanic. And by work, I mean check the oil. (laughs) Christians are not under the law. Are you ready for this? Romans 6.14. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Can you get any more plain than that? That's not my my, uh, opinion. Can you get any more plain than this? People say, well, we're still under the law. Really? Have you read the Bible? I'm I'm just saying. It says we are no longer live under the requirements of the law. Wow. Instead, what do we live under? We live under the freedom of woo, God's grace. I live under the freedom of God's grace. What does that mean? God loves me just the same, 365 days, 24-7, the same. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what I'm thinking, no matter what my life's going on, God says, that's my son in who I'm well pleased. Do you realize God said that about Jesus before he did one miracle, before he did one act? Remember when he got baptized by John the Baptist? He went down. He hadn't done anything yet. This was the beginning of his ministry. He was 30 years old. He hasn't done anything yet. He gets baptized by John. He comes up out of the water, and there was a boom from heaven. There's still booms from heaven. And this is what the boom said. It says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hadn't preached one message. Hadn't healed one person. Hadn't did anything for the kingdom of God. And God booms from heaven and just says, I just want everybody to know. I'm pleased with him, not because he performs miracles. I'm pleased with him, not because he preaches. I'm not pleased with him because of what he does or doesn't do. I'm pleased with him because he's my son. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a daughter, you are a son, and God's pleased with you today, not because of what you do or don't do. It's just because you're family. That'll set you free. And so because of that, we don't live under the requirements of the law. The law strengthens sin, not people. The law strengthens sin, not people. 1 Corinthians 15, 56. For sin is the sting that results in death and the law. And the what? The law gives sin its power. The law gives sin its power. And here are Christians wanting to live by the law. Really? You you want to live by that? Because it says the law gives sin its power. It It gives you power to keep sinning. That's what it means. It gives you power to keep sinning. Hey, let's sin. Sinning in the morning, sinning in the noontime, sinning all the time. I'm under the law and I sin all the time. 
Come back next week and we'll do it in rock and roll style. But anyway. You want to live under the law, then it's just going to strengthen you to keep living as a sinner. But if you get a revelation of the grace of God, it empowers you to live like Jesus lived. You got to renew your mind and say, man, I'm just going to believe that I am the righteousness of God and that I'm empowered by His grace. His grace, this is what Paul had a revelation of. His grace, no matter what I'm going through, what I'm doing, is sufficient for me. Most people feel they can achieve right standing with God through their good deeds. If I can just do more and more, then I'm in good with God. But this is the problem. The law said you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. This is my last one. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. But if the ministry of death, how would you like to be part of that ministry? What's the name of your ministry? Oh, I'm part of the ministry of death. See how many volunteers you get to join that one. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones. What is he talking about here? What was engraved on stones? The Ten Commandments. I want you to understand this. This is what was engraved in stone, the Ten Commandments. And he calls it the ministry of death. Put that in your pocket and smoke it. I'm telling you what, that, that, uh, that's unreal. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious... So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which the glory was passing away. When he came down from the mountain, remember he's holding these, you remember Charlton Heston when he came down? He's holding these big two stone tablets, you know, it was the Ten Commandments. His face was glowing, his hair is all silvery white, went up with black hair, came down with all silvery hair. Ah. And it was glorious. But this is what it says. If the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance, which was glory, was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So, Pastor Mike, are you saying that we shouldn't ever put up the Ten Commandments? We should pull them out of schools, pull them out of government places? No, I'm not. Is everybody hearing me? Are you saying we should do it away? No. And I'm going to give you two good reasons why we shouldn't. One is because I believe it just gets people, when I see that, it makes people think about God. This is my opinion. And number two, the law pushes people to believe that they need a Savior. I don't read the Ten Commandments and go, man, I've got to make sure I keep them. No. I look at them and say, thank God I have a Savior. Every time I read about the law, I thank God that I have a Savior. The law pushes people to do one or the other. It makes you try to live a certain way, or it makes you to believe a certain way. To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So I believe that. I believe that. So the law is good. Paul even said, the law is good. It's pure. It's holy. It's a good thing. But you have to use it for the right purpose. When people say, I don't need that Jesus. If you don't need Jesus, then you have to obey the 613 laws 
to make it. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. So this is what the purpose of the law is. It's to tell you that you either have to live that way, and that's a good reason to have the law today. Nobody can say, I don't need Jesus, okay? How are you going to live? How are you going to believe? Well, there's only one of two ways. You either believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ or you live and keep up with the law. That's what Paul said. The bad news is you and I can't live according to the law. The good news is if you believe in Jesus, you're not under that law. I don't know about you, but 613 of anything is too much. There's so many things of the law people don't realize. Grass. You can't mix grass seed. Good luck with that in Colorado. Not eating certain things. If you eat, if you eat uh, lobster, shrimp, anything like that, you're a lawbreaker. Some of you are going to break that today. There's so many things. You say, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. You, we pick and choose the ones we don't know, you know. So, Pastor, if we're not under law, you're saying, we, can we go out and murder? He said, no, all of the law hangs on two things. This is why you don't have to have the law. Love God and love people. If you love people, you're not going to commit murder. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to do those things because you love people. Everything hangs on those two things. Love God and love people. But even when you don't feel like you're loving God good enough, if you're not loving people enough, there's still this thing called grace that covers you and me. That you don't need to feel guilty. You just know that, you know what? I'm not perfect. But I'm not going to live in condemnation and guilt. I'm going to continually renew my mind so that I can understand grace and be empowered in my daily walk. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That God loves me no matter what. No matter what. Amen. So the rest of this month, we're going to be digging deeper into this. Amen. Let's all stand. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? That we are no longer under any restrictions or laws. We're not. And he wants to have a relationship based upon just his goodness, not based upon what you do or don't do. I think that's probably the greatest thing that I've learned about God's grace and goodness. That my relationship with God is not based upon what I do or don't do. It's based just upon Jesus. That's good news. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much. I just pray the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened that we may understand the goodness of God, the grace of God so that we will not try to just be perfect and try and work harder and just try harder and, and just relax in you and rest in you and when we do that resting we will do a lot more right than what we ever thought we could do we'll have a greater life than what we thought we could ever have because we rest in what Jesus has done for us. So I pray that for our church, for those who are watching, that they would understand that 
and just embrace the goodness of God, embrace the grace of God, and thank God that we are free from the law of sin and death. We are free from all of those 600 laws that our relationship now is based upon Jesus. We thank you for it. Amen.